you know, sometimes even as preachers, we, we try to just get everything all together and organized and make it nice and neat. And sometimes God just says, you're going to have to just really trust me on this one. Uh, you're going to just step out in faith because nothing really came together. I know it's where he wanted me to be. It just was, a, it was just difficult to organize my thoughts. And so I'm just going to preach to you today what's on my heart that the Lord has given me. And it uh, might not be anything astounding as far as intellectual, but I pray that he will still use it. And uh, I know it's his word, and it never comes back void, so uh, I trust him with it completely. So the title of my message today is, uh, yes, it is based off the title of an old Clint Eastwood movie, but I changed it a little bit at the end, The Good, The Bad, and The Eternal. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're able, one last time to stand. I'm going to preach through the psalm, but I'm only going to read the first three verses for sake of time this morning to get us started. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Father, help us today. I believe with all my heart that we've all been in this place at one point in time in our lives. And so, Lord, minister to us today through your word and by your spirit. Lord, help us to see and hear what you need us to do, what you desire us to do, and give us the faith to answer that call today, Lord. Help me to just deliver this message as you've given it to me, and may all glory and honor go to you, Father, and I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Philip Yancey is a popular writer, written a lot of, a lot of books over the years, and he wrote one called, Where is God When It Hurts? You may have read that one before. And in that book is this quote. He says, Is God somehow responsible for the suffering of this world? In an indirect way, yes. But giving a child a pair of ice skates, knowing he may fall, is a very different matter from knocking him down on the ice. That's a great analogy of how God allows us to have the free will to make decisions, and in those decisions will be hurt, will be wounds that God was fully aware of and allowed to take place. And yet God is not the author of sin. He is not the cause. He is not the one that causes the action to take place. And so when we come to Psalm 73, we are looking at a situation where we have a man by the name of Asaph. Asaph was a Levite. He was the chief musician of David. And Asaph either wrote these psalms, he wrote 12 total, he either wrote them or he was responsible for dictating them or perhaps both. But either way, Asaph is uniquely acquainted, I believe, with the situation that he is describing to us in Psalm 73. And he is going to look at a thought that has probably been on all of our minds at one point in time. And I tried to pose it in a question that I believe he is trying to say, and it would be something like this. Why does it seem that the harder we try to do right, the more difficulty we experience? Yet those who choose evil seem to prosper. I'm sure that you have struggled with that thought, if not outright asked, that question before. Why is it so hard, God? Why is it that the more I try to do what you say, the more I try to be faithful, the harder my life gets, the worse things get, the more trouble I have, the more suffering I have, and this person over here cares nothing about you, and it seems like their whole life is just going great. We've all probably been there. We've all probably asked that question. And so I want us to look at a few things today. I've just got a few points real quick that I want you to see and I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. Number one, there is a settled confidence. 
there is a settled confidence. Look at how Asaph starts the psalm. Truly or surely, God is good. Surely, God is good. I want you to highlight that word surely. That is the anchor of Asaph's soul. When everything around him says otherwise, when circumstances and experiences and emotions are saying, this is awful, surely God is good. This is the one truth that he can hold on to when nothing else makes sense. He is leaning and trusting on that. The Bible tells us over and over that God is good. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His mercy endures forever. We sing a song with those very lyrics here at the church. Psalm 119.68, listen to what it says there. It says, You are good, God. You are good, speaking of His character. So God in and of Himself embodies goodness. God is love. God is holy. God is just. God is good. He is the very culmination of all those things. But He doesn't always just say that you are good. He says, and you do good. That is His action. His character and His actions always line up. He's not inconsistent. He doesn't fall short. He's not just good sometimes. He's good all the time. And we say that as a mantra, but when life gets tough, it's easy to say, I don't understand why a good God is allowing these bad things to take place in my life. But the Bible is telling us that not only is God good, what He does is good. And then David finishes that by saying, teach me your statutes or your commands. Help me to understand your laws. Help me to understand your ways. Because listen, when we challenge you to read the Bible, we're not just asking you to read the Bible so that you can become smarter in doctrine. That's a good thing. But we're asking you to read the Bible. We're challenging you to read the Bible because it is helping you to grow closer to the author of the book. We want you to know Him deeper. We don't just want you to know facts about Him. We want your relationship to grow. And that can only take place through understanding who God really is. And Asaph knew that surely... God is good. And if you are not settled on that point today, then your life is going to be constantly tossed about whenever a bad situation, a tragic situation, or suffering comes into your life. Because you are going to question God Himself. You are going to question. Listen, we all question the circumstances. We all ask why. But if you know that surely God is good, you may not be able to have the answers that you want, but you will know that God is the one constant in the midst of all this thing, that He is good, and you can rest in that and lean on Him through it all. Surely God is good. That's the settled confidence that Asaph had in the midst of all the other questions that he had. And I'm asking you today, do you have that confidence? I'm not asking you if life is good. I'm not asking you how strong your faith is. I'm asking you no matter what is taking place, can you say, surely God is good. Surely He's good because I know Him. I know that He's good even when life isn't. Number two, there is a sobering confession. He had this settled confidence but in the midst of that confidence, he's still struggling. That's encouraging to me because so many people think I can't come to church and possibly show any signs of weakness. I couldn't possibly come to church and tell them what I did last night that I'm not, ashamed, that I'm not proud of, that I'm ashamed of. 
I couldn't possibly come to church amidst all these perfect, pretty people that have no problems and admit that I'm the one person here today that's got a problem. People believe that. I hear it all the time. If I came to church, the walls would cave in. Well, they didn't cave in on me. I doubt they'll cave in on you. And believe me, I've got as much a past as anybody else. And so listen, we have got to understand that in the midst of saying, surely God is good, we can also say, but surely my life is not right now. That there is a problem with me. There is a problem with my home. There's a problem with the world. And I'm going to admit that and acknowledge it. I'm not going to pretend that I've got it all together when I don't. Because you can't get the help you need if you're not willing to confess that you need help. You're never going to turn to Christ as your Savior if you don't admit you're a sinner and that you are lost and dead in your sins, which we all were at one point in time. And so Asaph has a sobering confession. He said, surely God is good in verse 1. And then that little word that begins verse 2 that has such a big meaning. But. It's great when God butts in, but it's usually bad when we butt in, right? Surely God is good, but as for me. He's saying, I know who God is. I know His nature. I know His character. I know that He does good. I know that He is just. I know that He is holy. I know He is righteous. But me, struggling. I'm on the struggle bus today and have been for some time. But as for me, my feet, I want you to see these words. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He didn't go over the cliff, but he was teetering right there on the edge. And if you walk with the Lord long enough, you're going to come to those situations where you are on the edge of throwing up your hands and walking away from it. Listen, if you've never been there, praise God that you've never encountered a trial that has brought you to that place of nearly saying, I can't do it anymore. But I've been there. I've been there more than once. There were times in my life where I sat at a crossroads and almost like the old cartoons with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, and the devil was winning. And the devil said, why do you keep exposing yourself to the hurt and the pain and the suffering and bringing your family into it when you can just walk away and go back to the life you used to have where you had no responsibility, where you had no people that were constantly coming to you with their problems and their concerns and their sickness, and you could just go back to it all and leave that behind and not have to worry. And I said, you are right. Yes. At the moment, that sounded better than anything that I ever could have imagined. And if it was up to me, and this is one of the many reasons why I believe that if you are truly God's, He will keep you. He won't let you go. If it was up to me, I would have jumped both feet off that cliff and said, I'm done. But God wasn't done. And in His mercy and His grace, He brought me back to my senses. But Asaph is making this confession. He says, as for me, God is good but I am having a difficult time. I am questioning. If God is good was the anchor, then this is the attack. I want you to see the attack that comes. And what happens here is we have the absolute truth of the Word of God that says God is good, but Asaph takes his eyes off of the good God and looks at his experiences. And all of us can understand that faith is by sight. 
But when we're going through things in real time and our feelings and our emotions are all involved, that's a lot stronger, at least it seems to be, than trying to walk by faith. And his experiences and his emotions and his expectations are all pulling at him. And he said, I just about went down. I just about gave up on this thing. My feet almost stumbled. That literally means to pull the rug out from under somebody. Have you ever had life do that to you? You're going along fine and dandy. Things are good. The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. And boom, you get a phone call that changes everything. I've always said you were one phone call away from our lives changing forever. I think a family last night got a phone call that changed their life forever. Matter of fact, I heard people talking just today. I was encountered with a situation like that. That's all it takes. Life can change. The rug is literally pulled out from under you. His steps nearly slipped. There was some ice out under the overhang this morning, and I saw people coming in like this because they didn't want to slip, right? Nobody wanted to fall on the concrete out there. And he says, my feet nearly slipped out from under me. Life will do that to us. We're walking along just fine, and boom, you step in a puddle, you step in a hole, you step on some ice and almost go down, right? That is what Asaph is saying happened to me. D.L. Moody used to say either you'll be humble or you'll stumble. One of the two. And God has a way of letting life humble us. It certainly will. And so Asaph is going through these things and he's saying, I'm stumbling. And you say, well, what happened in Asaph's life? What caused him to say, God is good, but yet I'm struggling? Look at verse 3. Here's the third point. There's a significant cause in his life. The significant cause that caused Asaph to get his eyes off of this good God onto his circumstances and say, I'm just about ready to slip and trip and fall because he says in verse 3, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I want you to see a word in that, and that was that he saw, he looked, his eyes were involved. The enemy loves to get our eyes on the wrong things. The enemy loves to get our eyes off of God and onto other things and then manipulate us with those things to say, you have believed in vain, God has forsaken you, you're too bad, you're too far gone, blame God. Why would a good God allow this? You should be angry at God. Shake your fist at Him and walk away. How dare He allow that? The enemy uses all of those tactics because the anchor is surely God is good. But he gets us to look at all this stuff and he allows our flesh to take over and we forget how good God has been to us. And we instead say, we deserve better than this. We deserve more than this. And our expectations are projected onto God and we forget that God in His mercy lets you take another breath today. That God in His mercy lets your heart beat while you are yet a sinner, Christ died for you. God had every right to send all of us to hell because of our sin and wickedness and unbelief. And in His mercy and long-suffering, He gave you and gives you opportunity after opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. We don't deserve any of that. And in our arrogance and pride, we come to God and say, I've been praying for this. How dare you not answer my prayer? As if God owes us anything. He's already given us more than we would ever deserve. From him, And we forget just how lost we were and how needy we are and how 
gracious God has been to us and how merciful He's been to us. And the enemy wants us to project our expectations on God so that He ought to do our bidding and He ought to do everything just as we ask and please because surely we know far better than God what we need, right? At least that's the idea that we get. And so these expectations involve our emotions and then our experiences take over and we shake our fist and say, I won't serve Him anymore. I won't obey Him anymore. I didn't sign up for this. And so I'm going to walk away. And that's the thing that troubles me so much today and has for a long time when it comes to Christianity. We preach the message, and I believe it's rightly so, that salvation is a free gift. You don't do anything to earn it. It doesn't cost you anything. It costs God's Son everything. And I'm thankful for that. That is a biblical truth. There is nothing you can do to earn salvation. Jesus freely gave His life He died on the cross and shed His blood. And all you have to do to receive that is to turn from your sin and trust Christ. But here's the problem with that. People think, well, it doesn't cost me anything to be saved. It didn't cost me a dime. It didn't cost me any effort. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. And so therefore, since salvation is so easy, the Christian life is easy too. Right? You just believe and off you go on to glory when you die. What a wonderful offer. Except here is the problem. Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. And you can't separate the two. Listen, I want you to be clear about this thing. It's wonderful to say if you are lost today, come and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the call to all who are lost. But I want to make it clear to you. That when you say, I need Jesus, I want Jesus, I desire Jesus to be my Savior, that on the other side of His saving grace is His Lordship. And when you bow your knee to Him as your Savior, you are surrendering your life to Him. Jesus just doesn't give you a get-out-of-hell-free card and say, live as you want, do as you please, and then you can still make it into heaven as long as you've believed. The proof that you have believed is that you have died to self and you have been risen as a new creature. Every time I baptize someone, you hear me say those words, whether you can hear what I'm saying or not, I am repeating what the Bible says in Romans 6. The baptism doesn't save anyone. The water doesn't wash away your sins. The blood that Phyllis was playing about and the blood that we trust in does. But listen, when I say buried with Him to rise to walk in newness of life, That is showing that when you trusted Christ, you died with Him and you rose a new creature with Him. And if that didn't happen, you are just as dead and lost as you were. I don't care if you came up here and prayed a prayer. I don't care if we baptized you. I don't care if your name is imprinted on your Bible. If there is no new life, there is no new birth. Period. And that is the reality that we have got to understand. That when you come to Christ, it's a free gift. But it will cost you everything. It will cost you relationships. It will cost you things that you used to love. It may cost you your life. But what you have in Christ is greater than anything you'll ever give up. It's greater than anything that He would ever remove from your life because He gives you so much more. Not necessarily even in this life, but in the life to come. And you have got to make a decision that I am willing to give up the things of this life for things in eternity that cannot be taken away. Our Sunday school lesson talked about all those things. But Asaph is struggling because he gets his eyes off this good God 
and he looks around at other people who seemingly are prospering, and he says, why is life so hard for me? And these folks have no problems. Look at what he says, and I'm not going to read it all, but look at what he says in verses 4 through 9. There's no pain in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued. Pride is around them like a necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff, and they speak wickedly. They speak loftily, and they set their mouth against the heavens. They curse at God, and God doesn't do anything about it. He says, listen, I feel like I'm constantly being punished. Every time I do something, it seems like I'm getting punished. These guys are openly blaspheming God, and you're not doing anything. Have you ever felt that way? Have you thought, God, look at the evil in the world. Why don't you respond? Why don't you do something? And again, God will. He's already promised that He will. Do you trust Him in His timing? Because this good God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And in His mercy, He gives the most wicked scoffer another opportunity to turn to Christ before it's too late. Justice is coming. A holy God will set all things right. Mark it down. Wickedness does never go unnoticed. But God in His mercy is giving another moment, another opportunity. And maybe that's your opportunity today. Maybe you've come in here today and you say, I've rejected Jesus. I've shook my fist at Jesus. I've lived for the world. And today gives you another opportunity. You're not here by accident. This isn't karma. This isn't just chance. God orchestrates all things, and you're here today for a reason. If you need this Jesus, he's available to you. But Asaph is looking at these things, and he's saying, my feet almost slipped, and I almost went over the edge because I keep looking at these people, and I'm envious of them. I'm envious, maybe not even of their life, but what they have in life. My life is so hard sometimes, and things are so difficult. And when you serve God, listen, we've bought into this lie that serving God means everything goes good and everything falls into place and people don't get sick and babies don't die and jobs aren't lost and marriages don't fall apart. But I got news for you, they do. For true Christians, they do. Because you live in a fallen world and you live with sinful flesh still enshrouding your born-again spirit. And you are going to encounter those things. Jesus said that in this world he suffered and, a, and, and a, the disciple is not above the master. If Jesus suffered, we too will suffer. But we will also reign with him in glory. You've got to understand, we have got to shove aside this false idea, this message that says that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise His name if you're in that situation where you are healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Those are wonderful gifts that God can give to people. But they're not promised and they're not guaranteed. And they certainly will one day be swept away. Even the richest, most famous, most well-off people will die with nothing and stand before God with only the treasures that they've laid up in heaven. Have you laid up treasures in heaven today? Have you done anything to prepare yourself for eternity? There was a significant cause in Asaph's life, and he, he came to a crossroads. Go down to verse 13. He says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain, and I washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Then he says, if I had said I will speak this, I would have been untrue 
to the generation of your children. He said, I'm struggling so bad that I would be a hypocrite if I tried to even talk about these things to somebody else because I don't even know if I believe in myself anymore. Have you ever been there? Like you're like, I am so confused, I am so bewildered, I am so struggling right now that I don't want to even try to talk to somebody else about Jesus because I don't even know how I feel about Jesus right now. That's where he was. That is the honesty of this man of God. And you have got to understand that God already knows your hearts, but you need to be honest about where you're at today. If this is you, own it. But don't stay there. Don't stay in this place. He says in verse 16, I thought how to understand this. It was too painful for me. He said, I've been tossing this stuff around in my mind for so long, I don't even want to think about it anymore. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought, I'm just so weary that I don't even want to think anymore? Like, just shut my mind off. I can't even rest because my mind won't stop. He said, I've had these thoughts and I've had these questions for so long and they've troubled me for so much. And I know that surely God is good, but I look at other people and it seems like that the wicked are prospering and I'm trying my best and I'm getting nowhere. God, why? God, why? Verse 17 comes to a sobering conclusion. Verse 17 says, until. I want you to see that word, until. That's the apex of this thing. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Life is marching along. And none of us knows for sure how many days that we have. And through that brief window of time that we call life, you'll experience a lot of good and maybe some bad. But there's coming a day when this life will end, and then the real life begins. This is temporary, guys. We put all of our focus, our emphasis, our efforts into this life, which if we're really, really lucky, we may get a hundred years of. That's nothing compared to eternity. And yet we think little of the homeland that will never end, of where time is no more. And I want us to think about that because that is where Asaph got to. He said, until I came into the sanctuary of God. That doesn't mean that he went into the literal temple. He went into the presence of God in the heavenly temple like where Isaiah was in Isaiah 6. He went into the presence of God. He said, now I understand. I'm in the presence of this holy God and I understand what is the end of the wicked and what is the hope of the believer." Death has a way of clarifying things for us. Death has a way, or the fear of death, has a way of changing our perspective. Asaph's circumstances didn't change. The wicked people were still prospering. The bad people were still moving forward. Asaph's life was still facing struggle and turmoil. But his circumstances may have not changed, but his perspective did. And the thing that changed his perspective was getting in the presence of God. Getting his eyes back on him, getting his eyes off of the world, and getting his eyes on eternity. And like I said, death has a way of changing our perspective. He said, then I understood their end. The end of days, the end of life, the end of opportunities. Listen, that day is coming for all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Are you ready for the day of judgment? You can have everything this life has to offer and not be ready for the judgment day. 
And you can have nothing in this life but know that when you stand before God, He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's all that matters. All of these things will be stripped away. And that's my final thing that I want you to see, verse 26. There is a secure completion to all of this. What do you mean there? Look at what he says in verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail. That's going to happen to all of us. But God is the strength of my, por- my heart and my portion forever. That is the word. That is the difference. Forever. Trusting in Christ and the things of eternity are eternal. They are forever. Everything here is temporary. Where is your focus? Where is your emphasis? If we followed you around for a week, if we looked at where you went, if we watched where you spend, if we saw where you prioritized, is it this life or the next? Where are you investing your life? It's important to invest your resources and your money, but where are you investing your future, your life, your soul? Is it for this that will burn up one day, or is it for eternity? The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I am persuaded of that, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When you have that relationship, when you are known by Him, nothing can take that away. But there is not a thing in this world, no matter... Listen, you can have Simply Safe, and you can have locks, and bolts, and bars, and nail it to the floor. You can't take it with you. Nothing will keep that thing, whatever that thing is, in your life for eternity. Nothing can keep that person in your life for eternity. There is going to be a separation. What are you doing when it comes to eternity? We talked a little bit about Dave Ramsey in Sunday school this morning. One of the things that Dave Ramsey says is that we buy things we don't need with money we don't have, to impress people that don't like us. And that's the truth. Is that the way that you live your life? Collecting things that you can't afford to impress people that could care less about you? Or are you investing into eternity where the one rules and reigns that loves you supremely, that knows the very number of hairs on your head, that has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with Him? Are you spurning that for all of this junk that's going to be a bonfire someday? Only you can answer that. But Asaph came to the conclusion that I am going to take my eyes off the world and get them back on God. And that's my challenge for you today. He says in verse 28, I have put my trust in God. Have you? That's simply my question today. Have you put your trust in God? If not, where is your trust? In your savings account? In your 401k? in your health, in your kids, in your spouse, that's sinking sand. You better build on the firm foundation. You better build on the one thing that can never be taken away from you, and that is Christ. Again, all those other things are fine, but they should never be first. Have you trusted Jesus today? Monica, Phyllis, you come. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if God is speaking to you today, I am asking you point blank, 
Are you ready to stand before the Lord? Are you ready to meet Him today? And if you are, praise Him for that. But then are you living for Him? Salvation didn't cost you a dime, but living for Him will. If you were, as the movie God's Not Dead said, if you were put on trial for your faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You for the truth that we all can struggle, but we can know that You are good and we can walk in that truth and live in that truth and be changed by that truth. God, help us to take our eyes off the world and to set them back on Christ, to walk in joy and peace and assurance today and to be able to say it is well with my soul. Lord, I pray that you will move in this service, especially for the one today that doesn't know you, that they would give up trying it their way and do it your way. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have those that will pray with you if you want them to. If not, you come on your